0: And it'll be helpful for you to have your Bibles open to Matthew, the passage in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. And it may be helpful for you as you want to follow along in the spiritual disciplines, um, picture of myself here and then the outline that we'll be using this week. Just a little joke of... <laughs> um, Rick, I'm getting a little feedback up here, so I don't know how to help that. If someone asked you to how, how to be a great athlete, or if someone asked you how to be a great musician, or if somebody asked you how you would be, how would you be a great surgeon? What, what would your answer be? If somebody asked you how you would be a great athlete, would you say, well, just go run a four-minute mile? Or a great musician, if you could just play Beethoven's Fifth Symphony on the piano? Or a great surgeon, well, just perform open-heart surgery successfully, and you'd be great at those things. Is that how you would respond to that kind of question? and the obvious answer is no because you couldn't simply go do one of those things you you would have to train yourself to be able to do one of those things you'd have to adopt a lifestyle with habits ingrained in you that you would have to practice over and over and over again so that at the moment that you needed to do something whether that was play a piece or perform a surgery, or run, or do something athletic, that you would actually have a chance of accomplishing something great. If someone were to come up and ask you, how would you be a spiritually strong, muscular follower of Christ? What would you say? Would you say, just go act like Jesus? I hope you wouldn't say that because that person has no more chance of just going and acting like Jesus than I do of going and running a four-minute mile. There's no way that's just going to happen. If we want to act like Jesus, and that would be our natural goal, we're going to have to have our lives trained. We're going to have to have habits We're going to have to have things that we've practiced over and over and over again so that when you reach the spot that you want to act like Jesus, whether that's in your school or at work or at home, and you're required right now to do something that's very difficult, and you know what Jesus would do, that you would have actually the chance of doing it because you've trained yourself. You've ingrained your habits to be like Jesus so that you could actually act like Jesus. Dallas Willard says, and it's quoted there in the handout, the general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. We intend what is right, But we avoid the life that would make it a reality. We intend what is right, but then we avoid the life that would actually make it a reality. When you read the Gospels, it's easy to see the words of Christ. But what sometimes gets overlooked is the way of Christ. And so we can't just listen to the words and hope that we're somehow going to do that. We also have to look at his life. We have to look at the way he lived his life and adopt that way of life so that we might live according to his words. So this summer, we're really thinking about spiritual disciplines. We've had one sermon on it. We'll have another one today, obviously. And then the next four or five weeks, we'll unpack a few different disciplines fasting or Bible reading or prayer or solitude, those kinds of things, and say, well, how how is it that those are exercised in the Bible? How can we begin to exercise some of those habits so that when we go and live like Christ and we have to live on the spot, that, that we have some hope of actually performing like Christ would want us to because we've been living the way he would want us to. Again, another quote from Don Whitney on your handout. He says this, The spiritual disciplines is the process by which you are putting yourself in the way of allurement. The spiritual disciplines are the process by which you're putting yourself in the way of allurement. They are the highways built by God to the ocean of himself. Prayer, fasting... Bible study, solitude, are putting yourself in the way of allurement. I remember living on a dorm hall in college my freshman year at Furman University. And so I'm on A-dorm 300, so I'm on the third floor. And I'm just studying hard like a good freshman. I'm in my room, I'm at my desk, I've got all my books out before me. It's maybe 10 o'clock at night and I'm working hard on some project or studying for some test. And I'm totally focused on the material. And what happens? There's about 60 guys living on the hall. One of the guys, I don't know who, orders a hot pizza. And I guess the Domino's people on the delivery, they walk slowly by all the closed doors and Try to blow the pizza, you know, the smell of the pizza. And here I am. I'm not thinking about food at all. And a little whiff of a hot pepperoni pizza comes by. And suddenly what happens? I've, I've, I've been allured. I've, been, I've just been moved off. And suddenly, you know, my calculus or biology or anatomy matters not. I, I've been totally captured by something else. And that's exactly how the spiritual disciplines are to to work. You're out working in the world. You're doing things that are important. But what we need and must be captured by is this whiff of the eternal glory of God. And the only way we're going to get a, a taste or a smell of that is if we're practicing the spiritual disciplines. So we have to put ourselves in the way of allurement, and that's what the spiritual disciplines do. They also, and I like the quote here, they are the highways built by God to the ocean of himself. I remember living in Oklahoma, and we would drive out to the East Coast because we had spent some time in North Carolina, and we'd gotten used to going to Cherry Grove and Holden Beach and Long Beach, and we live in Oklahoma, and we'd make the... I don't know, 20-hour drive or whatever it was from there to the East Coast. And you'd get, a, you'd get up on near Holden Beach and you'd go through the little town that had the neon signs that were advertising the, you know, 10 T-shirts for a dollar and sunscreen. You'd have the fish house and you'd have the ice cream shop. But if you've been driving from Oklahoma, you didn't stop at any of those things because you knew when you got to that bridge and you popped up on the bridge the ocean was what you had come for and it totally eclipsed any sort of cheap shop on the other side of the bridge you looked at it you, you rolled your windows down you, you took a big breath and you just couldn't imagine anything greater that's that's the spiritual disciplines You don't get captured by the cheap imitations on the west side of the bridge. You've come. The highway is taking you to something more beautiful. And one of my questions for us today is, are you putting yourself in the way of allurement for Jesus? Or are you putting yourself in the way of allurement for the world? I mean, you have to measure the kind of television watching and magazine reading you do against looking for the Lord and listening to the Lord and reading about the Lord. How is it you're disciplining yourself to put putting yourself in the way of being attracted to Jesus? Perhaps you're stuck in the Small town, and you're sort of swept away by the, the cheap glitter of a sexual thrill. It's, it's, it's gotten your attention from a television screen or a computer screen. You might be stuffing yourself physically with food or fashion, just hoping that the, the next uh, Xbox or iPod or iPhone, you see the guys that spent two or three days in line for the new iPhone. Just hoping somehow having that is going to fill up some hole in my life that can't quite do it. And then the next gadget comes along and you're back in the same line. Maybe you've had sort of a sweet taste of power or pleasure or money or comfort or self-control. And those things have captured your attention. You've gotten off the highway, and and you're missing the ocean of God because these little cheap neon shops on the other side have have captured your attention. I want you to listen to these sobering words. Richard Dortch. some of you might remember the name. He was the president of the PTL Club. Remember Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. And Richard Dortch said this after he got out of prison. He wrote a book called Integrity, How I Lost It and My Journey Back. And he says this, At PTL, there was no time taken for prayer anymore. The show just had to go on. We were so caught up in God's work that we forgot about God himself. A TV camera can change a preacher quicker than anything else can. It turns an ordinary person into petty potentates. So easy, isn't it, to be swept away by popularity. Everybody loves you. Cars are waiting for you. You go to the head of the line. It was the devastation of the camera for me. It made me less than what God intended me to be. It made me less than what God intended intended me to be. Do you hear what happened in this quote? It wasn't just the camera. What went wrong? The very first thing, there wasn't time for prayer anymore. We got off the highway. And what Richard Dorch and Jim and Tammy and everybody else realized is that they're no different than anybody else. They're terribly attracted to the cheap, Neon imitations on this side of God. And when you give up being on the highway of prayer or being on the highway of being in your Bible or being on the highway of solitude or being on the highway of fasting, then you're going to be captured by these cheap imitations of money or power or sex or popularity. Just like they were. So we can't afford to get off this highway. But I want us to understand clearly that the spiritual disciplines are a means to the end. You don't just check off you did prayer. and You don't just check off you did your, your Bible reading. They take you to the place that you want to go. And so I want to look at Jesus and not just his words but his actions and use him as a model to follow. And we'll see this in Matthew chapter 3 and 4 and then on to 5 through 7. When you would turn to Matthew in the early chapters, if you have a red letter edition, you would see quickly that Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are what's popularly known as the Sermon on the Mount. Most of us are familiar with certain sayings in there. And we think about, and even many non-Christians say, this is basically the way people should live their life. This is sort of like the the human ideal. Even if you're not a Christian, if you could sort of live this way, if you could act this way, then the world would be a better place. Settle matters quickly and guard against your anger. Do Do not commit adultery even in your mind. Do not get a divorce. Turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. Give generously, but not before men. Store up treasures for yourself in heaven. Don't worry about your life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Those are all things that we would be very familiar with. Those are the ways in which you should act as a Christian. But there's a problem. And the problem is, if you just go to Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 and say, well, I guess this is the way I'm supposed to act, you find that it's impossible. You just can't keep it up. You keep trying and you keep trying. It just doesn't work all the time. And so you either do something, you're, success, you're successful, and you go, well, well, aren't I great? People should look at me. And then you got this problem with pride. Or you fail, and then you sort of beat yourself up and say, Well, I'm only human, I guess I just gotta wait till heaven. And the solution really is to go back before Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and don't allow the Sermon on the Mount to be the place that you start in your Christian walk. It really starts before that, and it starts back in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. Jesus has come to John the Baptist to be baptized, he's baptized. And then it says in verse 16, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him and he saw the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. So there's a, a three step process here that we'll talk about. And the first step is not Matthew chapter five, six and seven. This is the way you should act. The first step is being filled by the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what happens with Jesus before he begins his public ministry. In some unique way, the Holy Spirit rests on him. Remember the disciples after the resurrection of Jesus and after the ascension of Jesus? What does Jesus tell them to go do? Go back to Jerusalem and wait on what? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. When when you give your life over to Christ... When you surrender your life to Christ, then the Holy Spirit comes in and behold, this old creation is now passing away and this new creation is coming out. And so that's the very first step. The very first step is to surrender your life to Christ and just pray that the Holy Spirit would come into your life so that then you would begin to take the second step. Well, here's what happens a lot of times we take the first step we genuinely surrender our lives to christ or we say a sinner's prayer or we come forward or we kneel by our bed or any of those kinds of things that might be familiar to you but what happens is we do what jesus did in matthew 3:16, and then we just skip to matthew 5 i'm filled with the holy spirit now i'm supposed to go act like christ and you find the same thing. There's another problem. It just doesn't seem to keep it doesn't seem to work. I just can't act like Christ. And most of you have had this experience that you'd say, Well, maybe my first surrender just didn't quite take. You ever feel that way? I, I, I really felt like Christ came into my life, and now I find, look, I can't Christ couldn't have really come into my life if I just said that or I just did this. So you you get over here and you say, I guess I'm not a Christian. So you go back over here and you come back down the aisle and you recommit your life to Christ and you say the sinner's prayer one more time. And I know people have said the sinner's prayer like 15 times just kind of hoping one of these times it's going to take. And so many Christians live their lives between Matthew 3.16, asking Christ in their life, and then going to Matthew 5 saying, well, why don't I just live this way? And that's not the way, that's not the process in which Jesus went through, and that can't be the process that you and I go through. So there's a second step here, and that's really Matthew chapter 4. We see that in Deuteronomy 8. We see it here in Matthew chapter 4 that there's a critical second step, and many people skip it or miss it or maybe don't know it, and that is some time in the wilderness To work out some habits in your life. The people of God had been rescued out of slavery in Egypt. But they weren't ready to be and act like the people of God. So it took 40 years. Jesus had been baptized. And of course, he's a unique being. But he comes up, and before he speaks his first word, he spends 40 days in the desert. You and I have to be in that step where we're constantly giving ourselves over to the way in which Christ lived before we go and try to act like him. And we see these spiritual disciplines very clearly in this passage. Because it's the, 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 the practice of the spiritual disciplines that help us act like Jesus. We receive the Holy Spirit. We practice spiritual disciplines. We see in Matthew chapter 4, there's solitude. There's fasting. There's reflection on God's Word. There are a lot of these things that he's exercising so that he can act on the spot the way God would want him to. And I want to just make a couple of observations about that chapter before we conclude today. First of all, I want to notice that there's a wilderness for both the uh, people of God in Deuteronomy 8 and there's a wilderness for Jesus. It's really the place where the heart is tested, the character is formed. Probably in most high school and college weight rooms, there's a plaque somewhere in that weight room. And you know what it says? Probably says something very similar in all places. This is the place where champions are made. The display is on the field, but the maid is in the weight room. And you could say the same thing for a surgeon, or you could say, th- say the same thing for a musician, You get an opportunity to display it on the field or at a concert or recital. But the way it's made is in the locker room where nobody else is watching you. And God is allowing prayer and fasting and solitude and Bible study to really be the weights in which you work out so that when you get into your marriage and you're the husband who's supposed to love his bride just as christ loved the church and that gets difficult at some point you can act on the spot that way because you've exercised if you haven't exercised and i can tell you this from my own experience on the spot in a marriage it's going to be difficult to act christ-like it's going to be difficult for you to lay your life down for your wife you're going to say no i'm right It's going to be difficult for you to love your enemies. Think about the person that you do not like and probably does not like you. And your next encounter with them, whether it's intentional or unintentional, you already feel a tension about that without ever having encountered the person. How are you going to love the person on the spot? Well, you're going to have to have these disciplines worked into your life. So we see that this place of wilderness is a wrestling place with God. The second thing that we see are these temptations, and I don't want to dwell on them too long, but I think they're helpful just to notice the three that Christ was faced with because I think they'd be very common for us. First of all, a physical temptation. Satisfy yourself with food. Satisfy yourself with comfort or companionship or sex. Some physical need. Not that any of those things are negative, but make those things your God, is what Satan's saying. Make that thing the most important thing. And Christ says, No, I, I have a thirst for God that is above all of those things. Do you have a thirst for God that is above your thirst for companionship? Would you be willing to not be married before you married the wrong person? Is it true that your thirst for God is greater than your thirst for food? I mean, you can find out when you fast. Are you satisfying your physical needs first and then saying, sort of, once I've gotten my life physically satisfied, well then I'm okay to serve Christ. Or you're going to be willing to serve Christ even when your physical needs aren't being met. Second, we see in Matthew 4, 6, the lure of the spectacular. Throw yourself down from the top of this temple. Angels will come and rescue you. The whole world will see how spectacular you are. And Jesus refuses to be noticed or admired in that kind of way. He's going to do it the way God wants him to. Do you have a hunger for the spectacular? You you want people to know you. You float little things off in a conversation just so people say, Oh, wow. wow, that's great. You're just kind of looking for people to be looking at you. That's a big temptation. And finally, he's tempted by taking a shortcut. You know, I can give you all this right here, right now. you you tempted to take shortcuts? The way home... For Jesus is the same way home for us, and that's through the cross. But are in your life somewhere you're tempted to take shortcuts? Oh, that would cause some suffering. I don't know that anybody would know it. I'll just take the shortcut. It's just not a big deal, you think. And you're shortcutting a way that God would want you to go. When we come to the spiritual disciplines... We don't want to worship prayer. We don't want to worship the Bible. We don't want to worship solitude. That's the highway to the thing in which we want to worship, and that's God. And there's no better day than today to take communion because in communion what we see in terms of a model to follow is Jesus in another place in the wilderness, the Garden of Gethsemane. And you and I, as believers in Christ, are eternally grateful that He didn't satisfy His physical needs first. We're eternally grateful that He didn't call 12 legions of angels to come and rescue Him at that moment, which He easily could have, and done something spectacular in that way. We're very grateful that He didn't do those things. And we're very grateful even though he prayed, Lord, if this cup somehow could be taken from me, but not my will, your will be done. That he chose on our behalf to shed his own blood for our soul. Now, you and I aren't Jesus. But the things he's doing, the way in which he's living... Is a way in which you can live. It's not too hard. What does he say? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is—it's easy. You can get on the highway today. Read your Bible. Pray. Fast, begin to spend some time alone, and you can get in the way, the whiff of eternity can start floating into your life. And I promise you, when you get that, it's going to obliterate all the cheap neon trinkets of the world and put your life in the right perspective. As you come forward today, you need to be reminded really of what Christ has done and that your practice of the spiritual disciplines is never going to rescue you. We can't work for what's been done here. We can work because of what's been done, but not for it. And that he shed his own blood for our soul, that he gave his body and soul, not just for heaven, but to live right now Christ-like. We want to act like Matthew 5, 6, and 7 people. But if we're going to have any hope of acting that way, we have to live the kind of life that Christ lived.